it's always exciting to um, participate in that and to celebrate that as a community of faith. And um, if you're here today and maybe you've never been baptized, um, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've never participated in that, or maybe you're new to it, or maybe you have questions about it, please don't hesitate uh, to come talk to me, ask me or Joey or Emily or one of us on staff. We would love to talk with you uh, more about that. Uh, all right, today um, we are going to begin a four-week series on the Old Testament prophets. Um, and if you were not here last week, uh, or perhaps you're new to church, or perhaps you're new to reading the Bible, or maybe you're not new to church at all, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you're very familiar with the Bible, but you haven't read uh, the Old Testament prophets lately because they're not very fun to read, right? If any of those descriptions fit you, um, I want to encourage you to go on our website and listen to last week's message um, you can listen to it on our website or at Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, because last week we did an introduction to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, we looked at some history, we looked at their purpose and their role in the nation of Israel, um, and we talked about some of the challenges of reading uh, the prophets. And all of those things are so, so important, uh, because today we are going to jump right into the deep end of reading the prophets. And it's a little bit like jumping into the deep end of a pool. It's like last week we sort of circled around the pool and I said, the water's going to be really cold and it's going to be really deep and it's going to be like a shock to our system once we jump in it because reading the prophets of the Old Testament are really, really hard. So they're all sorts of sort of set up. So go listen to that last week. Um, and I tried my best to prepare you for that. But I think if we are willing to actually engage with the Old Testament prophets, they can do something really unique for all of us. Because there's a sense that they cut away all of the fluff, right? There's a sense that they cut through all of the surface level stuff. And oftentimes they get right to the heart of some of the most important issues that we need to be thinking about or talking about that perhaps we've been neglecting or avoiding. So uh, we're going to start with a guy named Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah has a book that's a collection of all of his messages and some stories about his life. It's actually the longest book in the entire Bible. And here's how the book of Jeremiah begins. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. By the way, Anathoth, or in Hebrew it's Anatot, is a little, little village about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. So it's just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's still there today. So Jeremiah grew up in the shadow of the capital city, in the shadow of the massive temple where all the Jewish people went uh, to worship God. It goes on and says, The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, if you need dates, that's 626 BC. And we actually know this with a lot of precision because we have a lot of details about the reigns of all of these kings in the nation of Judah. So Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. And that was in 586 BC. So uh, Jeremiah is a prophet to the nation of Judah for these 40 years from 626 B.C. to 586 B.C. And, and this was not just any 40 years. A lot of really significant things happened. Um, in 612 B.C., the Babylonians to the northeast 
conquered the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the dominant world power at that time, but the Babylonians came onto the stage. They defeated and destroyed the capital of Nineveh and took over the Assyrian Empire. Up until that time, Judah had been paying tribute to the Assyrians. So now the Babylonians are in charge. And then at that point, uh, Judah started paying tribute to the Egyptians because they thought maybe the Egyptians would help them out. But in 605 BC, the Babylonians defeated the Egyptian armies. And so then the nation of Judah started paying tribute to Babylon itself. Babylon didn't like some of the things they were doing. So in 601 BC, the Babylonians invaded Judah. They came back in 597 and they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. When they got their way, they left, but then they didn't really get their way, and so they came back a few years later, and in 586, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the nation of Judah, and they took anyone who was left back into exile into Babylon. So it's during these years that Jeremiah is saying to the people of Judah and to the people of Jerusalem, Over and over and over, the Babylonians are coming, and they are going to destroy our nation. And the leaders and people of Judah kept saying back to him and the other prophets, no, the Babylonians are not going to destroy our nation. We're not going to let that happen because we're really smart and we know how to take care of ourselves. And by the way, God will rescue us. God will save us. And Jeremiah will say back to them, no, actually, God's not going to rescue us this time. God's not going to save us anymore. He's not going to protect us anymore. He is going to allow the Babylonians to come in and destroy us. And it's not because God has abandoned us. It is because we have abandoned God. And to help the people see this and to help them understand what's going on, Jeremiah begins to deliver these messages. And many of his messages contain these powerful images or metaphors that he uses. And so today we are going to look at three of the most powerful images that he uses. And I want to challenge you to do something today. As we look at these images, I want to challenge you to ask this simple question. Is it possible that Jeremiah is describing me as well. Is it possible, as we read these messages written to a nation a long time ago with a different context and a different history, Jeremiah's clearly speaking to them, not to us, but is it possible that any of his messages or the images that he uses in some form or fashion might describe me as well? You might not be excited to ask that question. You might not be eager. But would you be willing to at least entertain that for the next few minutes? All right, here's the first image. I assume everybody said yes to that question, right? Yes, you're going to do that. All right, here's the first image that Jeremiah gives us. Uh, Very beginning of the book, um, uh, chapter 2, it says this. This is what the Lord says. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Uh, So in the ancient world, um, if you didn't live near a massive river like the Nile or the Euphrates, uh, you would have gotten your drinking water from one of two sources. 
the first would have been a natural spring. If there was a natural spring nearby, or you would have dug a well to have access to natural, clean, free-flowing, healthy, always available water. That would have been the first and the best way. Uh, the second option would have been to collect rainwater, uh, which seems promising, but rain is inconsistent, right? And you also need to find a way to uh, collect it and to be able to store it. And so people would build these cisterns underground. A cistern is a bit like a holding tank, but it would have been built underground. The sides would have been plastered in such a way that water could be collected into this tank. So let me show you a picture. This is a picture of a cistern that was literally discovered 10 years ago below the city of Jerusalem, not far from the Temple Mount, and has been dated to the time of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah literally could have had this actual cistern in mind when he's talking about this. Now, a cistern like this can be really, really helpful if it rains a lot, if you're able to collect the water into the cistern. But what if the cistern is cracked? What if the walls are fractured? What if the plaster breaks down? What if it's broken and it can't hold the water? What if no matter how much water you put into it, no, what if no matter how much it rains and you are able to collect, what if it will always run dry? And Jeremiah is basically saying this, and we go back to the verse. He's saying, look, you have access to a spring of living water, and yet you have abandoned it for a broken cistern that doesn't hold water. Now, of course, he's not talking about drinking water. He's talking about God. Because the people over the years have abandoned God. They've abandoned the, the one true source of life, of joy, of meaning, of purpose, of beauty, of grace, of truth. And they've not just abandoned that one true source. They've actually sought out other sources that they think will be better, but are always broken. And will always run dry. Now, by the way, the people that Jeremiah is speaking to are good Jewish people. These are not atheists. These are not people that decided at one point, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm not going to worship God. These are people who go to the temple regularly, who still pray the prayers, who know the scriptures, who do all of the outward external religious things that religious people do. But Jeremiah is saying, look, those actions, those words, that uh, church attendance, those gifts, those prayers, I mean, they're good, but they're, they're hollow if you're not actually seeking out the one true source of life. If you're actually seeking out life and purpose and meaning and beauty and truth in all of these other sources, you need to know they're broken and they're never going to give you what you're looking for. Now, I wonder if some of us have broken cisterns in our lives today. I wonder if there are ways that we seek out joy or purpose or meaning or life in sources other than God, sources that are maybe good things in life, but sources that ultimately leave us unsatisfied, leave us thirsty for more. Here's a second image that Jeremiah uses to challenge his people and us. He says this. This is from chapter 6. Uh, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. 
Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So uh, Jeremiah imagines somebody who's on a journey. They're headed for a destination. They're traveling from one place uh, to another, but somehow they've gotten lost along the way. They've either lost the right path or they've started going down the wrong path. Anybody know what this is like, hiking on a trail in Colorado? Uh, Sometimes you get on a trail and you you start looking around and you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm on the right trail anymore. Like, I'm supposed to be going up, but this is going down. Or we're supposed to arrive above tree line, but we're going lower in the forest. Or we're supposed to get to a lake, but we're not at the lake there, and we should have been to the lake. And you're not really sure what's wrong, but you're beginning to think that somehow you missed a turn, or maybe you took the wrong turn, but you got on the wrong pathway. And Jeremiah imagines that somebody is is walking like this on the wrong pathway and they arrive at a crossroads where maybe there are now two options in front of them, or maybe there's even three options, or maybe there's even four options. And of course, this is all a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for getting lost in our own lives. And here's what he says we need to do. Whenever we find that we might be lost, he says, first, we need to stop and stand and look. In other words, we need to just stop, and we need to stand, and we need to look around. In a sense, by doing that, we're admitting we're not really sure we're going in the right direction anymore. We're we're not really sure that we're on the right path anymore. We're not really sure which of these forks that we need to take. And if I trust myself, then I might keep going on the wrong path. And so we stop and we stand and we look. And then he says we do something really, really important that a lot of us don't like to do when we need directions, right? We ask somebody else for directions. We ask for help. We seek out other travelers. We find seasoned travelers, people we trust, people who know what the the right path is, what the good path is. Or he says, ask for the ancient paths. The paths that are tried and true. The paths that people have been walking for for thousands of years. The paths that we know lead to the place that we want to go. He says, ask for that path. Seek out the good way. Figure out what the good way is. And then he says, once we find that out, what do we do? We walk in it. We take it. We, we make that choice. We, we make the turn that we need to make. Or, or sometimes it's a 180 degree. Like sometimes we realize we are going in the total wrong direction. We need to turn around and take a different pathway. And it might be a new path to us, but as he said, it's an ancient path. And Jeremiah says, if we will do this, and this part is really important because uh, the prophets are often accused of being angry and mad all the time. And they are angry and mad, like 95% of the time, okay? And yet, at least here, Jeremiah is saying, hold on a second. If we will stop and recognize that we often get lost, and we often take the wrong path, and if we will be big enough and brave enough to admit that we sometimes are lost and we don't know where we're going, and if we'll stop, and if we'll look, and if we'll ask for help, and if we'll listen to that voice inside of us that might be the Holy Spirit saying that we need to listen to others, and others can tell us the good way or the right path that we need to take, and then if we're courageous and bold enough to actually make that change and take the right path, he says, if we will do all of that, you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that what we're all longing for? 
Right? Is that not what every single one, wherever you are in your journey of faith, whatever life looks like for you right now, whatever challenges you're facing or situations you find yourself in, aren't we all looking for rest, longing for rest in our souls? I'm guessing some of us might feel a bit lost right now in our lives. I'm guessing guessing others of us are maybe lost and we're not even realizing that we're lost. Will we be brave enough to admit that we need to look for a new path so that we can find the rest we're desperately looking for? There's a third image that Jeremiah gives to the people of Jerusalem and I think to you and me as well. This one is from Jeremiah 18. It says this. uh, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. By the way, when you see that, the word, um, it doesn't mean like one word. It's just a general term. In Hebrew, it just means like the message that came from God or the instructions that came from God. So here are the instructions that came from God. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So, Jeremiah says, I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it, as it seemed best to him. So uh, God tells Jeremiah, go down to the local potter. Um, and in the ancient world, uh, the local potter was not just an artist. We mostly think of potters today and pottery in terms of artwork. Um, but back then, potters made the vessels that were essential to every single part of life, right? Every container that you use for collecting or drinking water came from the potter. Every container that you use for collecting or cooking or preparing or eating food came from the potter. Every container you use for washing clothes, for, for storing valuable items, they were all made by potters. And so their work was really, really important. In fact, it was indispensable, right? And everyone would have known their local potter. So uh, Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he's watching the potter work at the wheel. Just imagine a potter sitting at an old wheel and making a piece of pottery there, making a pot. And, And the potter is working on a specific pot that's going to be used for cooking, right? But for some reason, the clay is not cooperating. We're told that the clay is somehow marred, which simply means there's just something wrong with the clay. We don't know exactly what's wrong with the clay, but there's something wrong with it. It's not forming the way it's supposed to. It's either too lumpy or it's too dry or, or it's too soft. It's just, but it's not taking shape the way it's supposed to. And anyone who's ever done pottery when you were a kid, or maybe you've done it as an adult, or if you talk to anyone who actually does pottery, they will tell you that sometimes this happens. It doesn't matter how hard you try to shape the clay into something you want. Sometimes the clay just doesn't cooperate. And and in this situation, Jeremiah notices the potter doesn't get angry. The potter doesn't take this, this piece of clay that's not cooperating and just throw it on the ground and rage quit and walk off and say, I'm never going to do any pottery again, or I'm never working with this kind of clay again. In fact, the potter doesn't even give up on this one piece of clay. He puts it back on the wheel, and he starts forming it again. And then God explains what all of this means to Jeremiah. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, 
as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. See, God is saying to the people, I can shape you. I can form you. In fact, this is the same word that God uses about Jeremiah in the very first few verses of the whole book of Jeremiah when he says to Jeremiah, I shaped and formed you, Jeremiah, before you were even born. He's saying to the people, I can shape and form you into something beautiful, into something useful, into something essential, into something significant. I can shape and form you into a vessel of my beauty that will carry my living water into this world and bless and serve all of the people into this world. But you're going to have to cooperate with me. You're going to have to work with me. You're going to have to let me shape you. You're actually going to have to partner with me in this process. And if you don't, well, then I can't really make you into something that you don't want to be made into. Now, God is going to follow this up by saying, and we won't read this part, I'll just summarize it for you because the message gets quite long, but he basically says to Israel, the problem here is you haven't been partnering with me for a long time. You haven't been working with me. You haven't been cooperating with me. You haven't been trusting in me. And so I'm going to have to take this misshapen pot this is this pot that won't really hold water, and I'm going to have to smash it back down into a lump of clay, and I'm going to have to start over. And I don't really want to do that. God doesn't want to do that. And so that's where the warning part comes in from the, the prophets all of the time, right? If you'll turn back to God, then there's hope left that he can continue to use you as the vessel he wants to use you to be. But if you don't, then he's going to have to start over. And of course, that's eventually what happens. The people don't respond. The Babylonians come in and they destroy the nation. And God starts over with them after the exile. Now, Jeremiah's warnings and these messages, they are tied to these specific historical events in the 7th and 6th century B.C. So this is not about our nation today or anything like that. We don't apply it in that sort of way. But I do think there's something about these images that can be so powerful and helpful for all of us because I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times in my life where I realize I am disconnected from God. And I usually realize the problem isn't that God has disconnected from me. The problem is that I have disconnected from him. The problem isn't the potter. The problem is the clay. I'm not allowing him to form me and shape me in the way that he wants. I'm not allowing him to form me and shape me into something beautiful. And and maybe it's because I think I can form and shape myself into something better than he can. Maybe it's just because I've gotten distracted and and lost my way, and I don't even really know when I lost my way. Maybe it's not until someone like Jeremiah comes along and says, you need to stop and take inventory and look around and realize, are you still on the right path? Are you sure you're going the right way? 
Or maybe the problem is I've started trusting in other sources in my life. Other sources for life and joy and truth and beauty and purpose and, and meaning. And, and they're really just broken cisterns. They're running dry. And the reason that I feel dry all the time or the reason I feel anxious or the reason I'm tired or the reason that I'm bored or the reason that I'm feeling thirsty all of the time is because I'm putting my trust in all of these other things. I'm thinking that uh, my work or my family or these relationships or these vacations or these things are what's going to give me life. And it's not that any of those things are bad. It's just that they're not satisfying in the way that we all long to be satisfied. They're only quenching our thirst temporarily but never permanently. And so Jeremiah looks at you and he looks at me and I think sometimes he says, it's time to return to God and partner with him. And maybe you need to ask for help. Maybe you need to ask for directions. Maybe you need to figure out your way back to the right path. Maybe it's time to stop trusting in those broken cisterns and go back to that well of living water. About 600 years after Jeremiah, Jesus would come along and he would make it clear, he is that well of living water. He is that spring of living water that never runs dry. And that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that it's possible to believe in him mentally and not really follow him. It's possible to believe in him and not really trust in him. It's possible to believe in him, but to seek our lives in so many other sources. It's possible to believe in him and still lose our way. But God's not going to throw any of these jars of clay away. He invites us to come back to him, to partner with him, and to allow him to form and shape us into the vessels that he's made us to be. So let's take some time to pray about that and think about how we can partner with God in that process in our lives. Let me pray for us. Lord, I think we're all here this morning because we do acknowledge at some level that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life. And whether we first um, came to that realization decades and decades ago, whether it's been more recently, would you help us to come back to that truth again today? If there are other sources that we've been going to, would you reveal those to us and just help us to return to you? If we need directions back to the right path, would you give those to us? And more than anything else, would you help us to know that you love us that you always welcome us back, that you're like the father that throws the party when we come back to be with you and experience the life that you have to offer us. I pray this in your name. Amen.